Now let us turn, please, to this uh, book of Deuteronomy. And I want you to turn, please, to the very first chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. And uh, in this first chapter, verse 1 begins, These are the words which Moses spake. These are the words which Moses spake. Now, there are several reasons why I turn to the book of Deuteronomy. I would say one is that we haven't been giving you anything out of the Old Testament for a little while, and I think it would be good to get over in the Old Testament for a while. Another reason is that uh, this current Sunday school literature that we don't have and aren't interested in, but the world at large has, Methodist, Presbyterian, all of it, has the new higher critical attack upon the Deuteronomy, upon Moses. Moses didn't write anything. The whole Old Testament is the story of man's groping after God rather than God coming down and revealing himself to man. Complete revolution in your Sunday school literature, and you people might as well get prepared for it and know some of the answers to it. Everybody should. Another reason is that it's in the book of Deuteronomy that you have a beautiful representation of the unity of the people of God. They were a chosen people. They were a holy people. They were a very favored and peculiar people. And they had come out of Egyptian bondage and God had led them with a mighty hand. And the church of the New Testament is supposed to be the same kind of people. Holy, peculiar, separate, being led by the Almighty God and by His Word. Also, the book of Deuteronomy has a great deal in it about widows, about orphans, about the fatherless. It has a great deal in it as you read through and Moses gives instructions as to how to take care of the little orphans without father, without mother, and how to take care of the widows and the responsibility of the people of God for themselves as a unit and as a great company. And that is in the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy also has in it tremendous blessings and cursings. Oh, beloved, the blessings that God has pronounced upon his people if they will keep his commandments and obey his will. They are magnificent. But the cursings which God pronounces upon those who possessing the light and having the light and having heard the commandments turn from them. Oh, these judgments are severe. And they're in the book of Deuteronomy. Now, now let's turn to the closing chapters of the book of Deuteronomy. I want to point out one or two things to you as we begin to open up some of these things. But I want you to notice the emphasis upon the fact that Moses did the writing. That Moses did the writing. Turn to chapter 31. And in the 31st chapter, beginning with verse 9, And Moses wrote this law, and delivered it unto the priests, the sons of Levi, which bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and to all the elders of Israel. 
Moses wrote this law. Now, beloved, if you take this new Sunday school literature, Crossroads, they're studying it right this very moment that tells you that Moses didn't write anything. The whole book of the Pentateuch and especially the book of Deuteronomy wasn't written back there till about 620. And actually, you're dealing here with 1500 B.C., not just 622 B.C. And the idea is that some priest took some legends and some tales and some stories that had been handed down and they wove the thing together and we came out with this thing we call Deuteronomy. And it belongs to the, uh, the document they call the priestly document, the P document. Well, this says Moses wrote this law and delivered it. Then we turn over just a little further in verse 22 of this same 31st chapter and we read, Moses therefore wrote this song the same day and taught it to the children of Israel. So, beloved, here's a psalm that's dated for us, and Moses wrote it, and it is a magnificent psalm. And as we get into this, I want to show you that God said, the people will forget my words, but if I teach them songs, if I teach them melodies, if I teach them hymns, they'll learn the hymns, and they'll sing the hymns into their hearts. And even though they may not read the book and read these things, they'll have these things in their songs. And, of course, that's one of the troubles we have today. The modernists have long since gotten rid of teaching the Bible, but they sit down in the midst of their sermons, and they'll sing, Faith of our fathers living still, and the preacher gets up and denies the whole thing in his sermon. And we've got the hymnology still with us, and now they're moving around to try to change the hymnology and alter the hymns for us, and you've got that process going on in the Methodist with a new hymnal now, and you have it in the Episcopal Church, and the Presbyterians are struggling with it. But the hymns stay with you longer than just reading the book itself or the oral presentation of a message from a public rostrum. Now will you notice, please, verse 24. And it came to pass when Moses had made an end of writing the words of this law in a book until they were finished. Until they were finished. Now, of course, we run into a problem here and you turn over to the end of the account here and you have in the 34th verse the finishing of the book, of course, and you have the last few verses that tells us about the death and the burial of Moses. And so these wise men come along and say, well, this is all the proof that you need that Moses didn't finish it. He couldn't have finished it because he was dead. And consequently, since he didn't finish it and we have some sort of an addendum that's been put onto it here, we must recognize that the same thing could be true with other purposes. Oh, I have no difficulty with that, beloved. I don't think it's beyond the providence and the wisdom and the mind of God to tell Moses how he's going to die. In fact, I think it's very nice for Moses to have it all spelled out for him before he died. The Lord very easily could have done that. You know what Moses did, what God did to Moses? He told him about the coming of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, 1,500 years yet ahead. I have no problem with that. Nobody has any problem with that that has any real belief in the supernatural work of the Lord and what he's doing. And we read the account here that God took Moses up on the mountain, buried him. And I should think that's very interesting and very significant view of the fact from the time God told Moses when he struck that rock and he claimed credit 
for himself. From the time that God told Moses that because of that sin he wouldn't let him go into the land of Canaan. On down through the ministry you'll see it in the book of Deuteronomy. Over and over again Moses refers to the fact that he's not going to be permitted to go into that land. And God says, Moses, please don't speak to me anymore about this matter. And so Moses did but we have an account of Moses' death and Moses could very easily have written it. We have no difficulty because Moses finished the writing of this law at that time. Now when you turn to this book of Deuteronomy, there's some great texts in it. Notice Deuteronomy 33, verse 27. 33, verse 27. The eternal God is thy refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. And he shall thrust out the enemy from before thee, and shall say, destroy them. Will you turn over to the 32nd chapter? And verse 43, Rejoice, O ye nation, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants, and will render vengeance unto his adversaries, and will be merciful unto his land and unto his people. Turn to chapter 32, the 30th verse. How shall one chase a thousand and two put ten thousand to flight? except their rock had sold them and the Lord had shut them up. Notice, please, chapter 32, verse 4. He is the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. Running through this magnificent prophecy and this magnificent work of Deuteronomy, because it is also prophetic, you have these great texts. One can chase a thousand and two can chase ten thousand. And the Lord is the one who will go before thee and deliver thee from thine enemies. And God is dealing with a very select company. He's dealing with a body of slaves that were in Egypt. Four hundred years they were in bondage to the pharaohs of Egypt. And God raised up Moses. And in fulfillment of his promises to Abraham, he brought them out of that land of Egypt by miracles and wonders and signs. And he confounded all the wise men of the Egyptians and all the soothsayers of the ancients. And God Almighty, by a high hand, a hand of power, delivered the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage, and they were his people. His people. They were the children of Abraham. They were to be a holy people. They were to be a peculiar people. And they were to show forth the praises of the God of Israel, the God of Jacob, the God of Abraham. And the one purpose for which God delivered them and for which God guarded them and protected them was that they might be the light and the testimony of the living God on this earth for redemption. And that's what they were. Now I'm going to get into this passage of Deuteronomy with you. And we're going to see how God dealt with Israel. And in a very close and parallel sense, he deals with the people of God in the same manner today. So far as obedience is concerned, there is no difference. So far as the heart is concerned, there is no difference. 
So far as redemption by grace and through faith is concerned, there is no difference. We stand at a point in the history of the Christian movement and the Christian church when we look back to the cross. We look back to it. We proclaim that it's been finished. We proclaim that this is the good news. Moses looked forward to the cross. And Moses spoke of Christ. In the 18th chapter of the book of Deuteronomy, let's turn to it if you will please. You get the heart of this at the 18th chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. In the 15th verse, there's a whole section in there in which the reference is unmistakably to our blessed Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. For the Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me. Unto him shalt thou hearken. According to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb, in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire any more, that I shall that I die not. And the Lord said unto me, They have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth. And he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And when Jesus Christ arose, he said, Had ye believed Moses, ye would believe me, because he wrote of me. And if ye believe not his writings, neither will ye believe my words. And the woman at the well, the other experiences through the gospel, we have seen him of whom Moses and the prophets did speak. And Moses predicted the coming of a prophet into whose mouth God would put all of his words. And into his mouth all the commandments of God would be given. And when you turn to the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ all the way through it, the words that I speak, he says, they are not mine, but the fathers that sent me. And when you come to the great passage in John 17, and in that 17th chapter of John, he says, thy word is truth. And then he explains that that truth has been given unto him and he's giving utterance for it. And 1,005 years after Moses wrote of this prophet, he arose. And back there 1,500 years, Moses looked forward to the coming of this prophet who would be raised up of God out of his brethren. He'd be of that great people and he would speak the words of the living God because God would put his words in his mouth. All the children of Israel had been to Mount Sinai. There the Ten Commandments had been handed down. There was the fire and the thunder and the roar. And they said, we don't want any more of this, Moses. We don't want God to speak to us from the mountain. We don't want God to speak to us in the fire. And God says, all right, I'll raise up a prophet like unto Moses, and you'll get his word not from a mountain, and not from the thunder, and not from the fire. You'll get his word out of the lips of this one that God says he'll send to you. And that one is Jesus Christ. And Moses stood back here, and he looked forward to Christ. 
and all of God's dealings with the people of Israel was that they were his people they were a redeemed people they were a people who were under the covering of the blood they were a people who had manna brought down to them from heaven and God took care of that people they were his and now we've come to the New Testament and the cross is an accomplished fact the resurrection is the glorious event of all time and all history and we look back to that cross and there's the redemption that Moses had as he looked forward to it. We look back to that resurrection and there's the living Christ and we're with Moses and Moses is with us because Moses was redeemed by the same blood and Moses was saved by the same power. And I tell you tonight, when you study the children of Israel, and as we get into this story of the children of Israel, and you see them murmuring and complaining and getting mixed up and breaking down the lines of separation and purity, as you find them there in the book of Moses, and then you come to the New Testament church, and the problems that we're having with the Christian people. We can't get you people to be a holy people. We can't get you people to be a separate people. We can't get you people to unite together on the Word of God and be a great mighty spiritual tower of strength in this land for righteousness and for truth. We're having the same troubles Moses had. Same troubles. Now let's take this Katie's Barney experience. Let's turn to that first chapter. Turn to that first chapter. These are the words which Moses spake. They are his words. And Moses now is reviewing the problems. He's writing this, of course, toward the very end of the 40-year pilgrimage. I don't know how many days it must have taken him to put it all together, but he finished the writing of it just before he died. But these are the words that Moses spake. And he goes back and says that God brought you out. When you first came out, we stopped at Horeb, and you got the commandments. And then you had 11 days from there, we journeyed over to Kadesh Barnea, making the straight road right into the land of promise. We'd come out with troubles, and we're going to take you in now in a hurry and get you there. And uh, when you arrived at Kadesh Barnea, Moses said, he spoke to you and said, Now the Lord says, Go ahead. And uh, go in and possess the land. He said he'd give it to you. He said, don't you be discouraged. Notice verse 21. Behold, the Lord thy God hath set this land before thee. Go up and possess it. For the Lord thy God, the God of thy fathers, hath said unto thee, Fear not, neither be dismayed. There it is. We've been out of, we come over out of the bondage of Egypt. We stopped at Horeb and we had a bad experience there. You went and walked and worshipped the idols. But now we've just moved 11 days. We've come over here to Kadesh Barney and there's the land of promise right over there. It's going up now. Let's go. God will be with us. Oh, the God that dealt with Pharaoh, he's going to be with us. God that parted the Red Sea, he's going to be with us. Beloved, whenever God says he'll be with you, he will be with you. And whenever God says he's able to do something, he's able to do it. And God wants people who will believe him. 
That's what he wants. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And God wants faith and faith by his people today, tomorrow, the next day, the next week, the next month, the next year. We are a people of faith. And when the faith goes dim and it gets weak, that faith must be rekindled and it must be re-inspired by the word of the living God. And we must be a people of faith. And they came near unto me, every one of you, and said, We will send men before us. Now this is where they made their first mistake. They should have said, All right, Moses, the Lord used you to lead us out of Egypt. God led us. Now we're ready to go. Let's go in. We've had experience. We've seen it before. We're not afraid. Let's go. Uh, God told us to go. He said, go. Go and possess it. That's his command. The people said, praise the Lord Moses. The journey's about over. The land of Canaan, the land of promise, the land flowing with milk and honey. All that's just over the burden, just over the hill there. Let's go. That's what they should have said. And if they'd have gone, they'd have gotten it. If they'd have gone, they'd have had it. If they'd have gone, the journey would have been over and they'd been in the land of Canaan. But some of them said, don't you think, Moses, before we go over, we ought to send an investigating team over there. Spy out the land for us and look it over and bring back a report. Beloved, they didn't need any report. God had already told them what the land was like. He'd already told them he was going to give it to them. He already told them that it was going to be a land flowing with milk and honey. And the first evidence of any break or any lack of faith on their part came when the Lord says, Go in and possess it. Don't you be afraid and don't you be discouraged. You go into that land. And they said, No, let's take time. Let's do a little more investigating on this matter here. And so Moses said, Well, if that's what you want, I'll give you a committee. And they appointed 12 of them. And so they waited outside while the twelve went in. They went around, slipped around, saw the high walls, saw the great big tall people, some mannequins had gotten in with the Amorites and others, and they were great big giants that were in the land. But they did see their grapes. They had the most luscious, big black grapes, just as big as plums big bushes and you know that's one of the things when I go to the Palestine or the Middle East now every time I get over there I always want to eat some of the grapes you go into Lebanon you go into Beirut you go into Jordan here are the, the, the fruit stand great big grapes beautiful thing they also have the most beautiful peaches over there immense peaches and they're just as juicy and actually they taste like a peach there's no water connected with them they have the most beautiful. And then these fig trees. Did you ever hear these ripe figs when they get just ripe, just ripe? They are the most delicious fruit. That land over there has always produced beautiful fruit. And it does so today. You can just see it. And I love it. When I get in there, I always let me have some fruit. Let me have some fruit. Let me have some fruit. And these spies came back and they said, This land has great vines. And all the more mighty uh, uh, bunches of grapes and they're so heavy the grapes are and they said it's a beautiful land 
but the people are too great for us. The people are too great for us. And do you know 10 of those men signed that report? And only two of them, Caleb and Joshua, came in. And they said, yes, it's what these men say. It's a big line, big people, big walks, beautiful houses, lovely grapes, big bunches. Everything they say is true. The only thing is our God will help us. Our God has promised to help us and let's go up. Let's go up. My, when you read this passage here in Deuteronomy, our God will fight for us. And all the way through the passages of Deuteronomy, it's our God will fight against our enemies. Our God will undertake for us. And then if you'll turn down, verse 25. Notwithstanding, ye would not go up, but rebelled against the commandments of the Lord your God. And ye murmured in your tents and said, Because the Lord hated us. Now, ladies and gentlemen, may I tell you that this is a very good place where the congregation didn't listen to their preacher. This is an excellent incident where Moses was telling them what they ought to do and where Moses was explaining to them the commandments of God. And the congregation didn't listen to Moses. They didn't listen to their preacher. If they had followed Moses in this case, they'd been in the land of promise and they wouldn't have had 40 years of wandering. But Moses was ahead of his people or the people had fallen back behind Moses. And Moses said, Ye rebelled and ye murmured in your tents. Can you imagine what must have happened in the camp of Israel? The reports came back and gave this, came back and gave the reports, and here was ten of them, and here was two of them. <clears throat> Moses let them give their reports, and then they all went back to their tents. And can you hear the arguments going on in these tents? Every tent had an argument. Every tent had a big discussion. Why they must have had a congregational meeting that night? Can you imagine a thing like this? They went back and they murmured in their tents and they said, No, we're not going to follow this man Moses. He brought us out here and look, look. The Lord hated us. No, the Lord didn't hate him. He loved them. He wanted them to put their trust in him and he'd lead them into the land of Canaan. He hath brought us forth out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Whither shall we go up? Whither shall we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying, The people are great, and uh, 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 they're, they're stronger than we are. The cities are great and walled up to heaven. Then, moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakins there. Then I said unto you, Dread not, neither be afraid of them. For the Lord your God which goeth before you, he shall fight for you according to all that he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. Folks, how can people having seen what God did in Egypt and taking them over the Red Sea, taking them out of the hand of Pharaoh, how could a generation that saw all of that just a few years later come to the promised land itself and simply because there were high walls there and there were some big men on the other side refused to believe God. 
Beloved, that's the trouble with the Christian church and that's the trouble with the people today. Just as soon as we settle down and get a little comfortable and we'll get into this, God says to Moses, Moses, when they get over there and they get comfortable and then they're nice houses and they have nice food, they're going to forget me. And here's the old story over and over again. One generation sacrifices and believes and before that generation passes on, down toward the end of that generation, they even lack the faith that they had 25 years ago. And Moses is rebuking them. Thank God that Moses stood and he stood and he stood and he said, You've rebelled. You don't understand. But they settled in their hearts that they weren't going to go. They weren't going to go. And beloved, when you sin against experience in righteousness, when you sin against light in God, when you sin against that which you know is the thing that God has set out before us, the judgment of God upon you is very severe indeed. And it was upon these people. Now I want you to see this judgment. God said, Moses, that's enough for me. I brought them to this point and of all the things that they would reject my word now, that they wouldn't take my commandment, that they wouldn't believe that I would be able to... I've been feeding them with manna for 40 years. I've been bringing them quails every day for 40 years. And now just to go over here because they see the Amalekites and they see these big men and they see these walls, they say, no, we can't do it. Moses, I'm going to deal with them. And Moses, this is my judgment. And this is what I pronounce on you. And oh, when you read it, he says, You turn back, go down by the Red Sea. And I'm going to keep you outside of that country until every one of these people who had these murmurings in these tents. I'm going to keep you out there in that wilderness till every person of this generation except Caleb and Joshua and their families. And I'm going to let their carcasses fall in the wilderness because they didn't believe their God. Now, folks, these aren't apostates. These are just the people of Israel. They just didn't believe God. They just, just wouldn't stand up to what God had commanded them to do. They were His people, and He continued to take care of them. He continued to feed them. But they were His people under affliction and under judgment. And He says, you'll go out there and wander, and when you're all dead, then these little ones that don't know the difference between right and wrong, they don't know what it means to trust me or not to trust me, when they get up, I'll speak to them, and we'll let Joshua lead them in, and you'll have to die in the wilderness. That was a judgment. It was final. You know what these people did? They said, well, I think maybe we better go on up then. Let's change our mind. Let's change our mind. And so they said, Moses, we're going to go. We don't like the idea of all dying out here in the wilderness. We'll just go. Let's go. Moses said, no. The Lord said, Moses, they rejected me when the issue was clear before them and it was a purely a matter of faith and not a matter of choice between being 40 years out here or 40 years in there or anything else when it was purely a matter of faith believing me they refused and my judgment upon them is set and if they go up now they go up in their own flesh they go up in their own will they go up in their own might and they will be defeated 
And they said, all right, Moses, we're going up anyhow. And so here they go. And here they all go. Now here goes this motley crowd up there to make the great assault on, on the land. And what happens? They are just cut to shreds by the Amalekites. And they're driven back and they come and they just weep and they cry and they moan and carry on. It's too late. It's too late. Beloved, there's an hour comes when God tests your faith simply on the basis of your faith. And if you fail God, the penalties and the consequences of it will stay with you for years to come. Did with the children of Israel. And so they go 40 years. Moses said they took care of you in spite of this. Look what God's done for you. 40 years. They could have been in the land. 40 years they could have had the grapes and the pomegranates and all the wonders of that beautiful land. Instead, they lived out in the wilderness, in the desert. 40 years because they didn't believe God. And then God said, Moses, I'm going to take Joshua. He was one of the two. And his heart is holy toward the Lord. Oh, this is the heart of Daniel when he purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the king's meat. This is in the heart of men who understand what God has done for us when he's delivered us from judgment and from hell and from eternal punishment because of our sins. God says, I'll lay my hands on Joshua. And beloved, I want to say to you tonight that God does that. When one generation fails, God will raise up a Joshua. God will raise up a Moses and he'll keep him to the last moment as long as he wants to use him and then he'll lay him aside and bury him on Mount Nebo. But he'll raise up a Joshua. Whoever thought that Joshua would be his man. And when I think of this man Paisley over in Ireland tonight, beloved, I want to tell you they mock Paisley. People don't like Paisley. But Paisley's the man of God tonight in North Ireland. He's like Joshua. He's like Amos. He's preaching. And he's preaching in the anointing and the power of the Holy Ghost. And men are under conviction when he preaches. And men get the gospel when he preaches. And he's being used to change the whole destiny of North Ireland tonight. Because he's an anointed man of God. You have no idea when God's going to speak to men, when God's going to raise up Joshua's, when God's going to raise up the leaders for the church. But he's going to do it. And he's promised to do it. In this great book of Deuteronomy, now I'm going to spend a few nights with you. I want to get into it with you because these are mighty spiritual truths for the church of God. And oh, how our church, how the country needs it, how the church of Christ needs it tonight. And we need people who will listen, listen to this word and believe that the God who brought you out of Egypt, the God who delivered you from death in the Calvary's sacrifice, the God who raised us from the dead in his own son, that God is able to do great things for us when we believe him. When we believe him. Now let us pray. O oh Lord our God, Thou hast taken us back into an ancient record. Thou hast taken us back into this Old Testament. And we thank Thee for this great book. And now as we deal with it for a few nights together, and as we get into these mighty things of Thy dealing with Moses, we thank Thee that they were a peculiar people. Oh, make us the same kind of peculiar people. 
May we be holy. And may we be undefiled. And may we build a church that's pleasing in thy sight in these dark days of apostasy. For Christ's sake, amen. Beloved, I had a man here this morning, an elder and his wife from the First Presbyterian Church in Abbasekin. He told me that he's met with a session of the church and he's pulled out, he's left. Couldn't take it any longer. We had two couples here this morning from out around Lancaster, two of them. They sat back here, they came to me and said, Dr. Magner, what do we have to do to get one of your kind of churches started out in our area? I'm connected with EUB, this man said. This man said he had something else. I said, well, you get a dozen people together and we'll start a church. He says, is that all you need? I said, well, just get a dozen and see what we can do. But right here this morning, an elder and his wife from Abbasekin came in here and told me that I've left the church. I was an elder and I've been an elder, but I can't stay there any longer. And I frankly believe that it's in this particular area right here that God's people are sinning against the Lord. They are really sinning against light in these areas today. And we've got to help. All right, let's sing this great closing hymn together. It's a wonderful hymn. How we praise the Lord for it. Take time to be holy. Take time to be holy. 188. No, no, it's so 188, only trusting. <laughs> <laughs>